The previous Mishnah brought a case where one witness testified that a woman's husband had died. And as a result, she went and married somebody else, had relations with him, after which her original husband returned. And the Mishnah brought a very long list of consequences and punishments, penalties for that woman who really should have investigated further and made 100% sure that he is dead before remarrying. So in Japan, we treat her as if she is a soita, as if she is a woman who intentionally went and had relations with another man, and that is the reason for the many consequences which she faces, which were listed in the previous Mishnah. Now the halacha is, at least according to our Mishnah, if somebody performs an avera, but which based then permitted, they said, they said it was okay to do that thing. If it later emerges that indeed it was forbidden to do so, and in general when one would does that thing, he is obligated to bring a korban, if Basin allowed them to do it, then they would be exempt from bringing a carbon. Now when one witness comes and says that a woman's husband died, although he is believed, partly so that she's not left unmarried for the rest of her life, as an aguna, nevertheless, since this is a unique case, and in general we require at least two witnesses, so she's only allowed to remarry somebody else, if Basin explicitly say to her, we've accepted that witness and you are now allowed to marry another man. So the Mishnah says that if that's the case, and only one witness came, and then Nisei Salpi Beistin, she married somebody else according to the permission of Beistin, if her husband then returns, Tetsei, she certainly needs to leave him, and as we saw in the previous Mishnah, she needs a get from both men, etc. But the point of the Mishnah is, of Haturah Minah Korban, she is exempt from bringing a Korban Chatos, even though she had illegal relations. And in general, a woman who is married, and has relations with another, another man, is obligated to bring a korban chatos, since in this case the Bastin said that she is allowed to marry, the halacha is that she herself is not obligated to bring a korban to atone for herself. She certainly did do an avera, and she is partly at fault. Nevertheless, any situation in which the Bastin is involved in the avera, they were sort of the cause of it in a way, she is exempt from bringing a korban. On the other hand, if two witnesses came and testified that her husband is dead, and it's therefore like a regular case where the testimony is accepted, in that case you don't need the explicit permission of Bastin that you are now allowed to get married. Since there were two witnesses, their testimony is accepted. And so Lonis Sabi Bastin, she didn't get married according to the permission of Bastin. Rather, just from the fact that two witnesses came, she got married to somebody else. If the husband then comes, so Tetse, firstly she has to get divorced, she has to leave him, but in this case, Vichayevis Bakarban, she would be liable to bring a Korban Chatos. So it emerges that Yothekach Bastin, Shapotramina Korban, the power of the Bastin is such that it exempts her from having to bring a Korban. Now, what happens if Hayruha Bastin in Ose, the Bastin gave her permission to get married because there was only one witness, Vaholcha Vakilkala, and she went and acted improperly? For example, if she was a divorcee from a previous marriage, or if she was a widow from a previous marriage, and she goes and marries a Koyen, so that is a forbidden marriage. Now one who does go into such a marriage is not liable to bring a Korban for that. That is not a severe enough prohibition to obligate one to bring a Korban Chatos. The question is whether she is obligated to bring a Korban for having married somebody whilst she is married to another man. On the one hand, she got permission from Bastin to remarry, Basin said she can rely on the fact that her husband is dead, 
But on the other hand, when Basin said you can get married now, they certainly did not include in that a forbidden marriage. And therefore, the Mishnah says, Chayavis Bakarban, she is liable to bring a Karban, Chatos, because they only gave her permission to get married to somebody who she is permitted to get married to. And therefore, if she goes and marries somebody forbidden, just like Basin is certainly not responsible or a part of that forbidden act, they are also not viewed as responsible or having a part in her Avera of marrying whilst she is married to another man. Mishnah Gimel. A woman whose husband and only son, only child, go abroad. And then people came and said to her, your husband died, and after that, your son died. It could be there's one witness, it could be there's two. One witness is enough in this case as well to permit her to remarry. The point is, the fact that at the time of her husband's death, the child was still alive, that means that there is no obligation of Yibum, and she is free to marry anybody she likes. And indeed, when this says she went and got married to somebody, and after that, people came back to her and said, Actually, what happened was the exact opposite. That first your son died, and then your husband died. Which means that she was a Shemeris Yavam, and it is forbidden for a Shemeris Yavam to marry somebody else before receiving Chalitza from the Yavam. And we believe the second witnesses, either because in this case the first witnesses were proven to be false, or because the first witness was only a single witness and the second ones who came were two of them. But either way, once we accept the second lot of witnesses' testimony, Tate says she must leave this other husband, Vavlad Rishon V'achroin Mamzer. And the first or the earlier child and the later child is considered a mamzer. What's the first and last ma- child? What does that mean? That means any child born before the second testimony was given and any child born after the second testimony was given, it makes no difference. Since she has not yet received chalitza, the child born from this man is born from illegal relations. And although there is no punishment of Kores or and there's no death penalty for the prohibition of a Shemeris Yavam marrying somebody else before Chalitza, our Mishnah follows the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, who said at the end of the fourth parak that any child born from any illegal relations is considered to be a mamzer. And therefore, since our Mishnah goes according to Rabbi Akiva, the child from such relations would be considered a mamzer. Next case, Omrullah, people came and said to this woman, after her husband and son had gone abroad, Your son died, and then your husband died, which means that there is an obligation of Yibum, because at the time of the husband's death, he had no children. And indeed, when it's she performed Yibum with her husband's brother, and after that, witnesses came and said to her, The matter was the exact opposite, and really there was no obligation of Yibum. And as we know, when there is no obligation of Yibum, it is forbidden to perform Yibum. It's an erva. The punishment is kores if it's done on purpose. Says the Mishnah Tetze, she needs to leave the Yovam, the Havlad Harishan Vahachan Mamzer, and the early and later child will be a Mamzer, meaning whether he was born from relations which took place before or after the second testimony, it makes no difference. At the end of the day, the child was born from an erva, so he would be a mamzer, even according to the Chachomim and Shimonatimni, which we saw at the end of the fourth parak, who say that a mamzer is only somebody born from relations which are punishable by Kores. In this case, they would agree that indeed the child would be a mamzer. 
Alright, third case. Omrullah, if witnesses came and said to the woman, Your husband died. Venise, since she went and got married. She had a son, so there was no obligation of Yibum. So she went and married somebody else. And then they came and said to her, Actually, at the time that we came to you last week and told you that your husband had died, He was actually alive at that time. But meanwhile, Vomais has actually died. Since then. So firstly, Teitze, she must leave this second husband. And this is Midrabonon, since at the time that she married him, it was forbidden, although now it's not forbidden, since she did marry him in a state of sin. And she didn't check out the facts well enough. We punish her and say that she has to leave her husband. The Havlad in Mamzer, and a child born earlier is considered a Mamzer, meaning a child born from relations which took place when he was still alive, so right after the first testimony was given, that child would be a mamzer, because she was married to a different man while she had relations with this man. But a child born later on, after indeed the husband had died, Edo Mamzer, he is not considered to be a mamzer. Next scenario, Omrullah, if witnesses said to this woman, your husband died. So she went to Niskadcha and she received Kiddushin from another man. But she has not yet reached the stage of the completion of the marriage, the Nisuin stage, and she has not yet had relations with him. That's only after the Nisuin has taken place. The Achakach Bobala, and then her husband comes, he returns, says the Mishnah Moteris Lachzoloi, she is permitted to return to him and remain married with him, since she has not fully got married to somebody else, and she hasn't had illegal relations. The Kiddushin themselves not even valid. Since she's still married, the Kiddushin which she received means nothing, it can't take hold, and therefore it's as if nothing happened and she is allowed to continue living with her original husband who is indeed her current husband. And because the Kiddushin means nothing, and the husband has returned, there is no reason even in Jabonon to obligate that second man to give her a get. It's obvious to everybody that no marriage took place, and that they were not married, and therefore he does not need to give her a get even in Jabonon. Now what happens if he did give her a get? Let's say he thought that the law was he would have to give a get. get. Even if that last, that second man who did Kiddushan with her gives her a get, he does not invalidate her from marrying a Koyain since she is not considered to be a divorcee, since the Kiddushan didn't take hold at all. This teaching Ibn Lozben Masya found a hint to in the Pasuk. The Torah says that a Koyain is not allowed to marry the Isha Gerushame Isha a woman who has been divorced from her husband. Now, obviously, if a woman is divorced, she's divorced from her husband. What does that extra word come to teach you? That if she receives a get from somebody who is not her husband, then she is still allowed to marry a koyen. Not from a man who is not her husband, because in such a case, she would be allowed to marry a koyen still. Mr. Dalit, as we mentioned earlier, when a woman thinks that her husband has died and, based on the testimony of one witness, goes and marries another man, if her husband is found to be alive, Midrabonon, we treat her as if she did it intentionally. Since she is partly responsible because she didn't check out the facts well enough, we view her as if she is fully responsible and she therefore has all of the penalties which have been mentioned earlier. What about the following scenario? Somebody whose wife went abroad, and they came and told him, Your wife has died. Now it's forbidden to marry one's wife's sister, but only as long as one's wife is alive. Once one's wife has died, one is allowed to marry her sister. 
So indeed, Venosis Achaisa, he married her sister, and this would only be permitted if there were two witnesses. There's no Takonas Agunais in this case. With regards to a woman, there's Takonas Agunais, which means that we believe even one witness in order to allow her to remarry, because otherwise she might end up not being able to be get married again for the rest of her life if she doesn't know what happened to her husband. But in this case, there is no reason to allow even one witness. So he required two witnesses, but in this case, indeed, two witnesses came. They said that his wife has died, so he married his, her sister. But after that, his wife came. So it emerges that the relations which he had with her sister were illegal. Says the Mishnah, his real wife is permitted to return to him. It emerges that the marriage to her sister was never a real marriage. It didn't take hold at all because his wife was still alive. And in this case, we do not punish him or her and say that he cannot remarry and continue living with his original wife. Because the only reason why we do so with a woman who commits adultery by mistake is because if she had done it on purpose, she would become a saita with all of those consequences which we listed. So if she is partly responsible, we view her as fully responsible and all of those consequences apply. But in this case, even if the father marries the sister on purpose, those consequences don't apply. So certainly if they're not fully responsible, he would be able to continue living with his original wife. Now, since he was married all along, when he went and lived with her sister, that marriage never took hold. He's not able to marry her as long as his wife is still alive. And therefore, he is still permitted to marry the relatives of the second woman, the sister, and the sister is permitted to marry his relatives because the relatives only become forbidden at marriage and they were never married. Furthermore, if the first woman, the one who is actually his wife, dies, then he's permitted to marry her sister. Alright, next case, second half of the Mishnah. Omrulayev, they came and said to a man, your wife died, and he married her sister, and then they came back to him and told him, she was actually alive until now. But the truth is that meanwhile, she has died. The child born earlier, meaning a child born from relations which occurred whilst his wife was still alive, that child would be a mamzer, because his wife's sister is an erva, those are forbidden forbidden relations, but a child born later, after she had actually died, that child will not be a mamzer. Alright, now the next couple of lines of the Mishnah are possibly one of the hardest couple of lines in the Masechta, in the Mishnayis, but after we manage the first mission of the Masechta, hopefully this should be okay. The Tanakama at the beginning of this Mishnah said that in any case where a man mistakenly marries his wife's sister while his wife is still alive, he is allowed to continue living with his wife. Now, according to Rebiesi, it's not so simple. And before we see his actual words inside, a few points of introduction are necessary. Until now, we have explained, also earlier in the previous Mishnayas, that in the case of a woman who thinks that her husband has died and she goes and marries somebody else, and then her husband comes back, the reason why she gets all of these punishments is as a form of punishment, that she should have checked the details properly and made 100% sure that indeed her husband was dead. And in order to actually make sure that she would do so, the Chachom said that if he will come back, these will be the consequences. So if she knows that, then she's much more likely to check the facts properly. However, she would be permitted to continue living with her original husband. 
As a punishment, she is not allowed to. Now, according to Rabbi the reason why she is not allowed to continue living with her original husband is not as a punishment. Rather, Rabbi is concerned that if people see that she went and married somebody else, and then they see that her father, that her original husband, is still alive, they won't assume that she married somebody while she was still married to somebody else, and that there was this very severe mistake which happened. Rather, they'll assume that when the husband, the first husband, went abroad, he divorced her, and then she went and married somebody else in a totally permitted way. Now, because that is what people will think, she can't just go back and marry her original husband without receiving a get of divorce from the second husband, because then people might think that one is allowed to get divorced from a man without receiving a get from him. So since people think that she is married to the second man, Mijabonon, she requires a get from that second man. Now, once she has received a get from him, she's forbidden to marry her original husband. That is the prohibition of Machze Gurushosai. If somebody marries a woman and then divorces her, and she goes and marries somebody else, even if after that she gets divorced or widowed, it is forbidden for her original husband to remarry her after she has been married in between to somebody else. And therefore, since everybody thinks that she was divorced from her original husband and then she married this other husband, and now has received a get from him, if her original husband goes and marries her again, they will think that he is violating the prohibition of Master Guru Shasai. And that is the reason, says Rabiesi, not as a punishment, that is the reason why she is forbidden to continue being with her original husband. Okay, now what about the case in our Mishnah, where the man married his wife's sister because he thought that his wife was dead? So the Tanakama said that he is permitted to continue living with his wife, and we explained, according to the Chachomim, since the entire reason why the woman in the previous Mishnah is not allowed to continue living with her husband is as a punishment, we view her as if she did it intentionally and is therefore forbidden to her husband. In this case, there is no reason to punish them, since even if they did it on purpose, he would be able to continue living with his original wife. There are no laws of Saita, or the equivalent, when it comes to marrying one's wife's sister, and therefore there is no reason to punish. Now, what about according to Rabiaisi? According to Rabiaisi, the reason why in the case of the woman who married while she was still married, the reason why she can't return to her original husband is because it will appear as if they are violating the prohibition of Mahze Guru Shasai, of remarrying the woman who he divorced and she got married to somebody else in between. In the case where a man married his wife's sister, there is no concern. So Rebbeis would actually agree with the Chachomim just for a different reason. Rebbeis says there is no concern because even once one does divorce his wife, it is still forbidden to marry her sister. Only once she has died is it permitted to marry her sister. So once his, his, his wife comes back, people will have no choice but to realize that he lived with her sister in a state of Avera. They won't start saying, ah, he divorced his wife, because that won't even help. Even after the divorce, it's still forbidden to marry his wife's sister. So, so far, although the Tanakhana and Rabiasi have different reasons, the actual law they agree upon. However, in the following scenario, because of their differing reasons, they are going to argue. Let's imagine we have Ruvain and Moshe, two men not related to each other, and they are married to two sisters. Reuven is married to Rachel, Moshe is married to Leah. And then Moshe and Rachel both go abroad. Their relationship is brother-in-law and sister-in-law. So Reuven's wife and Moshe, they go abroad. And then later on, witnesses came and said that both Moshe and Rachel had died. And at that point, Reuven, who until now was forbidden to marry Leah, because Leah is his wife's sister, 
And she's also married somebody else. There are two reasons why he is forbidden to marry her. But now that those two reasons have gone away, Ruvain marries Leah. But then a couple of weeks later, both Moshe and Leah return. Now, what is the halacha? So according to the Tanakhama, the law is quite simple. A man who goes and marries his wife's sister is still permitted to continue living with his wife. And therefore, Ruvain would be able to continue living with Rachel who would of course separate from Leah and continue living with Rachel, his original wife. However, Leah, who has now gone and married another man, whilst she was still married to Moshe, as a punishment to Leah, she is forbidden to continue living with her husband. And so according to the Tanakhama, Reuven can continue living with Rachel, but Moshe cannot continue living with Leah. However, according to Rabbi once Rachel and Moshe return, people will realize they'll have no way but to explain that indeed Ruvain committed an Avera. He mistakenly married his wife's sister, Leah, and they know that, and therefore they know that there was no real marriage over here. Marriages with one's wife's sister does not take hold at all. It's totally forbidden, and they're not considered halachically married. And everybody realizes that, and therefore Leah does not require a get from Ruvain, and because of that, Moshe is allowed to continue living with Leah because people realize that Leah was not married to somebody else in between. She had forbidden relations in between. But according to Rabia, you see, that's not a reason to punish her. We don't punish her. The only reason why she would be forbidden to her original husband is if people think that they are violating Machzigru Shosai, remarrying his wife after she married somebody else. So since in this case, it is clear to everybody that she was not married to Ruvain because Ruvain's wife is still alive. She came back. So Ruvain's marriage to Leah was never a real marriage. Therefore, Moshe is permitted to continue living with Leah. And of course, Ruvain would also be permitted to continue living with Rachel for the same reason that people realize that he was never married to the sister and it was a total mistake and he is still married to Rachel. So in the scenario which we just described, Rabbi Yossi is more lenient than the Tanakama. However, there's another case where Rabbi is more strict, and these two complicated scenarios are all included in the, in the next two lines. What happens if Ruvain was not married to Rachel, but Ruvain had only done Kiddushin with Rachel, the first stage of marriage? Now, when one does Kiddushin with a woman, he is able to do so al with a condition. He can say, I am doing Kiddushin on you, I'm acquiring you on condition that it rains tomorrow. Now, in our case, he didn't do it on condition. It was a regular Kiddushin without any condition attached. However, if Moshe and Rachel then go abroad and Reuven goes and marries Rachel's sister Leah and then Moshe and Rachel come back, people will think, let's think about it. In general, if there's a way to avoid it, people don't think that somebody did an Avera, that they married somebody in a state of Avera. And in this case, there is a way to explain it without being forced to say that Reuven did an Avera. They'll assume that when Reuven did Kiddushin on Rachel, it was Kiddushin al with a condition attached. And now that we see that Reuven went and married his wife's sister, it must be that the condition was not fulfilled, and that he was never married to Rachel, or even the Kiddushin didn't even end up happening. If the condition was not fulfilled, then the Kiddushin never took place. So they'll assume that he actually married Leah in a permitted way. But wait a second. Moshe also came back, so Moshe's still alive, which means that Leah is still married to another man, so Reuven did not marry her in a permitted way. It's all very nice that she's permitted to him in terms of not being his wife's sister, but she's still the wife of another man. So what will people assume? That when Moshe went abroad, he divorced his wife Leah. 
which means that Reuven really did marry Leah, which means that now that Moshe and Rachel have returned, before Leah can go and remarry and continue living with Moshe, she'll have to receive a get from Reuven. People will think that she actually married Reuven, that Moshe divorced her and then she went and married another man. So Reuven would give her a get, but then it's already forbidden for her to go and remarry Moshe. In truth, she's just continuing living with him. But people will think that she was divorced from him and married somebody else in between, and that now she she is remarrying her original husband, which is forbidden. And therefore, in this case, Moshe will be forbidden to remarry and continue living with Leah. As well as that, Ruvain will of course be forbidden to be married to Rachel, because again, what do people think? People think that until now he wasn't married to Rachel, and he was married to Rachel's sister, Leah, and Leah's still alive, which means that he's forbidden to marry Leah's sister, Rachel. So in this case, both Moshe and Ruvain are forbidden to continue living with their wives, which means that in this case, Rabbi is more strict than the Chachamim, than the Tanakama. Because according to the Tanakhama, there's no difference between marriage and just the stage of Kiddushin. Rather, in every case, Reuven can continue living and being married to Rachel, but Moshe can never continue living with Leah, because she went and lived with another man whilst she was married to Moshe. And so this is what the two lines in this Mishnah mean, Rabbi Yossi Omer. Rabbi Yossi says, Anybody who invalidates others, also invalidates his marriage. That's the case where Reuven was only, had done Kiddushin on Rachel. And because of that, he causes the marriage between Moshe and Leah to be forbidden. In that case, also his marriage between himself, Reuven, and Rachel is also forbidden. For the reasons which we explained, anybody who does not invalidate the other marriage, Moshe and Leah's marriage, because Reuven was married to Rachel, also does not invalidate his own marriage, and Reuven would also be permitted to continue being married to Rachel. So to summarize, according to the Tanakhama, the difference is always between Ruvain and Rachel who can continue being married, whereas Moshe and Leah cannot be continue being married. Whereas Kuntrabiasi, there's never a difference. Either they're all permitted or all forbidden. If Ruvain was only had done Kiddushin on Rachel, then they are all forbidden. If he had married her, then they are all permitted. If you understood that Mishnah, an unbelievable achievement, that's probably the hardest Mishnah in the Masechta. Mishnah hey, if you look at the diagram for this Mishnah, it will help. There are five women involved. Sora, Miriam, Devorah, Chana, Avigail. And each one is the half-sister of the next one along. So Sora and Miriam are sisters on their father's side only. Miriam and Devorah are sisters only on their mother's side. So Sora is already not related to Devorah. They're not sisters. Each one is only the half-sister of the one along. Now it's important to note that the prohibition of marrying one's wife's sister applies to half-sisters as well. Now in our case, Ruvain married Sora. And then Sora went abroad, and Omriloi, they told Ruvain, Mesa Ishtacha, your wife Sora died, and he went and married her sister from her father's side. In our diagram, that's Miriam. And then they told Ruvain, Mesa, Miriam died. So what did he do? He married her sister from the mother's side. In our diagram, that's Devoira. Mesa, then they told him that Devoira died, and he married her sister on her father's side, that's Chana, and then Mesa they told him that Chana died, and they married Chana's sister on her mother's side, and her name was Avigail in our diagram. 
And then after all of this, they all came back. They're all found to still be alive. Says the Mishnah, He is permitted to remain married with the first woman, the third one, and the fifth one. Sora, Devoira, and Avigail. Because they are not related to each other. Since Sora was still alive all along, the marriage to Sora's sister Miriam never took place. Which means that the marriage to the to Miriam's sister did take place. Because it's not his wife's sister. Sora's not related to Devoira. Only Miriam's related to Devoira. And since the marriage to Miriam didn't take place, the marriage to Devoira is a valid one. And the same goes for Avigail. And so now there are three wives of Ruvain, so approaches Torah saying, just like any three wives of the same husband, the Chalitza or Yibam to one of them would exempt the rest of the wives. The Osobashniovarvias, and Ruvain is forbidden to be married to the second one along, Miriam, and to the fourth one, Chana, because they are the sisters of his wives. And indeed, the Inbias Sarasa, Yibum, which is done to one of them, would not exempt their co wives, the other wives of Ruvain, because she's not actually the wife of Ruvain. So it's not considered Yibum. It might be a regular marriage between Ruvain's brother and this woman, but it's not considered Yibum because she was never married to Ruvain, and therefore, one of Ruvain's real wives would still require Yibum or Chalitza. Alright, and now the second half of the mission is exactly the same thing, just that if he had relations and got married to the second woman, Miriam, after the first one had died, after Sora died. So now everything just shifts one step along. In this case, the marriage to Miriam does work, which means that the marriage to the next sister along, Devira, is not valid, which means that the next one, Chana, is valid, which means that Avigal's marriage is not valid because she's the sister of his wife. So he is permitted to continue being married and having relations with the second and fourth ones, Miriam and Chana, and the Yibmu Chalitza of one of them would exempt the other, the and he's forbidden to the third and fifth one, Devoya and Avigail, because they are the sisters of his wives, the and if Yibum is done to one of them, it would not um, exempt Ruvain's other wives, since they are not actually a Shemes Yovon because they were never married to Ruvain.